Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie, and I am here with my podcasting partner extraordinaire, Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? Good, Katie. How are things? Things are all right. You know, all things considered. <laughs> with the dumpster fire of, the of 2020. Oh, 2020. Just a big picture of a dumpster fire. My thing right now is all the memes and things going around, just trying to express how twisted this yeah. year has been. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I feel like you can't have a conversation with anybody without just kind of putting an asterisk by it and being like, you know, I'm doing pretty good for it being 2020. You know, the whole year's been an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been something that's for sure. I'm so, glad we can be yeah, here and doing well. this over Zoom. And um, Zoom. we should we should kick it off by saying that we have this great uh, partner in Audible. And I am an Audible obsessive. They provide <laughs> um, content, audio books, and podcasts, and just all kinds of incredible content to their folks. And if you haven't tried it, I must insist <laughs> that you go to audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me, Katie's K-A-T-Y, and they will let you have a free audiobook as the trial. Yay! So they are they are the premier source of spoken word content and I can't get enough of them. And since we're all working at home and so isolated, it's not such a big deal to constantly be having audio Absolutely. content playing. <laughs> so burning through the books right now, Chris. I know your list is always impressive. You always have like 20 books in your queue and you uh, you consume information probably more than, than anyone I know. And I mean that as a compliment. I um, I don't know if I have quite the bandwidth to keep all of those things going on uh, in my head. So it's very impressive. Audible loves you, by the way. You're probably, yeah. like, <laughs> probably their top, <laughs> top customer. Huge fan, huge fan. And I'm not the only one. You know, we have employees on the farm. We're all wandering around with our earbuds. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anywho, anywho. So we're going to start today. I'm going to kick off today. Yeah? Yeah, please. Um, That'd be great. So the workaholic in me <laughs> is constantly having to um, figure out ways to be more effective as a manager and as an employee and as a human being, mm-hmm. because being a workaholic is not necessarily healthy. And one of the things, one of the topics I used Audible and podcasts to help me dive into recently was how to be a more effective manager. Mm-hmm. because I keep hoping that I'll be able to stem the workaholic in me if I feel like I can be effective without that. And uh-huh. so I just have some tips and things that are working out well for me that I've garnered from all these different places. And I thought I would share them with other people. If you're a manager or if you just can't stop like me, these are things that might help. One of the things and one of the first things I ever implemented was the idea that you need to have different levels of view of what you're doing. So I will explain it this way. If you crawl around on your hands and knees to clean your house and then you stand up at full height, you're going to see a whole different kind of mess, right? Right. Yeah. So when I clean my house, I literally go around and try and get way up high and look. And then I come down and I crawl around and I try and see what's there because looking at things from different levels changes obviously what you see. So you need to do that at work. And part of that means understanding a very clear objective, right? So that's like what I call the 10,000 foot view, Mm -hmm. keeping that objective in mind. When we open meetings for the farm, we open by reading the mission statement together because we're trying to keep our eye on the ball. So that's our 10,000 foot view. And then we come down to the 1,000 foot view, which might be shorter term goals, 
they obviously fit under that same umbrella. So we take that look and then my daily or my by the minute look is that more micro down at ground level, take a look at things. So keep in mind when you start feeling overwhelmed as a manager or in a big project, keep in mind that mission, the ultimate mission, and then come down a level and then come down a level and do it very deliberately. Because if you're trying to see all three at once, it can be very overwhelming and you will never stop. This is my favorite lately is go from a to-do list to a schedule. So I'm a to-do list obsessive, but let me tell you what this means. Yeah. I start every day and I have a list I carry on my phone and it has like 90 million things on it. And I'm so bad. That's a slight exaggeration. I am so bad (laughs) that if I do something, that's not on the list. I write it on and cross it off. (laughs) And sometimes I I have to rewrite the list because it gets messy and I don't like it. And the only time I can really feel satisfied in life is when the list is crossed off. But do you know, I add stuff so fast that no matter how hard I work, the list is never, you never get the list done. I'm the same. So this is not a healthy thing. Right. (laughs) Right. And I always thought it made me super productive, but it is, it does mess with my mental health on some level. And y'all, I saw your to-do list. That's (laughs) awful. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is a terrible. That was scary. Um, But I have that at my desk too. If I weren't in my closet right now, you know, I wouldn't have that at my desk. So I get that. But this tip was that instead of being driven by that list, you need to transfer that list onto a schedule. Yeah. Because what happens is your priorities don't work. And so what you need to say is, okay, at 7 a.m., from 7 to 8, I do this task. Mm-hmm. And from maybe from 4 to 5, I'm eating a meal and I'm going to sit down. Yeah. Or whatever it is. But you no, have to. Uh, You know, you have to do that. You have to schedule in time for self-care. I don't care how people feel about that term. It's a reality and it's important. And you have to put these things down and you have to live by the schedule, not the to-do list. And if you start the day with that, I'm telling you, it is amazing. I was skeptical and I was like, you know, I don't know. It's really highly recommended. I'll try it. Oh my gosh. It is a definite game changer. Um, So I, we were similar in this capacity. So I, I literally, cause we're on zoom, I I held up my to-do list and unfortunately I've become the person that, that I never wanted this to happen, but I I do have a to-do list that I then transfer in uh, the company I work for. We use uh, Salesforce as our, as our CRM tool. I then transfer some of these to-do list items into Salesforce, but that's because I can attach them to a, a date, like a, a deadline. Um, mm-hmm. And then also I'm notorious for going in on my calendar. And I think you have to do this. You have to, like, I'll put a hold on my calendar and it may just be a hold to just get caught up on emails, or I know that I have two presentations next week. So I'm holding my entire uh, Monday morning tomorrow to work on those presentations. And if I don't put those holds in, what invariably happens is that I then get asked to be in a meeting or something fills in on my schedule because mm-hmm. we all have access to each other's calendars where I work and it's free game. If there's a, if there's a gap and you have an opportunity for a meeting and you need that person in it, you're sending out yeah. the meeting invite. And yeah. so I, uh, on Friday afternoons, I usually go in and start looking at what time I need to block out the following week to get some of those tasks done. 
And then to your self-care point, uh, I have on my calendar my Orange Theory workouts four days a week when I go. And I have it at 5, 5 10 to 6 o'clock, four days a week. And that's on there. And we are very much a place that does not end at 5 o'clock. Uh, and, but people know that's when I'm going to the gym and I'll come back. And if there's other things that need to be done, great. I'll do them after that. But mm-hmm. that's, that's what my class schedule is. And that's, that's when I'm going. Schedule. And uh, I'm not breaking it unless it is, it has to be something really significant, like a <laughs> multi-million dollar opportunity or <laughs> right. something that can't possibly be replicated at any other time. Right. Uh, and I've been pretty good since, sorry, I'm kind of hijacking your topic here, but um, since I started going back to the gym and I won't delve into this rabbit hole, but um, where I am is they've reduced the class sizes, massive social distancing, have to wear masks, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, I just want to be clear that I'm still being very much uh, safe, but I've not had to like cancel any of my workouts because mm-hmm. people have an understanding. All right, that's when that's when Hutch is going to the gym. If we have to do something, we can you know either try and squeeze it in or before or afterwards. But to your point, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done, and then mm-hmm. you aren't going to make that time to like my our COO. He blocks out. 15 minutes every day for lunch so that people don't so people don't schedule them you know around noon which you know we all we just because it's lunchtime is noon to one typically I mean, I have meetings every day during that time frame. So if you don't block it out. You need the boundaries of a schedule. You need those boundaries. No, no, I know. And that's that's what what I mean. I started. Yeah, exactly. And you'll agree with me about this. I think as a list person, the schedule being kept is just as satisfying. It has that yeah. same kind of satisfaction factor, if that's a thing. So, yeah. so yeah. So switch from your to-do list at the beginning of the day to actually fitting it in a schedule. So the next step for me was instead of looking at something and feeling overwhelmed and saying, can this be done later? Ask, can this be done earlier? Mm-hmm. And on the farm, some things absolutely cannot. Sometimes it's a waiting game. It's like hurry up and wait, but other things can. And some of our problems are created because we're not addressing things preemptively. So I have started by default saying, wait, can this get done any sooner? Can this be done earlier? Make sure your people have what they need. So as a manager, sometimes we just go, oh, they're really competent. They'll figure it out. I'm very guilty of this. It's mm-hmm. not cool. You need to make sure that they have what they need, meaning you need to have a, understand the process or you need to ask them to walk you through the process, whatever it is. But don't put that on them. If you're the manager, that is your deal. Hey, Katie, on that, yeah. when you meet with your team each week, do you kind of carve into the agenda either asking for an update or in advance of an update, proactively asking if, you know, if they have what they need? Do you, do you manage that as well? How do you, how do you ensure, because I'm not, you know, not everyone is the same person either. And so some may wait until it's become an issue and others may be off and running. So how do you try and encourage people to to ask, you know, or make sure that they have whatever materials or whatever it is that they need to, to be able to accomplish the task? How do you ensure that? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that actually rolls into the next point that I have. Oh, so on some level, I've done most of the things that happen on the farm personally and recently enough to know if, if we have what we need, or I will go check myself. But the key to that kind of communication for me is that my team really does function as a team. And I want my people to know that I have their back and that it's perfectly safe for my staff to be vulnerable and say, I screwed up. 
I can't find this. Will you help me with this? We encourage that around here. It slows us down to get arrogant and to let our egos get in the way of all that kind of communication. Mm -hmm. I will not deal with somebody who, who wants to pretend that they have all the answers and that they're, they don't need that. And so we are always checking in with each other. I don't think, I, I think that I hope that one of my strong suits as a manager is that everyone here feels free to come to me and say, Hey, you didn't provide this, or I need this, or this broke, or, you know, whatever. We have really, I think, decent communication here. So, and I own up to my mistakes. So I think that's part of why my people are just fine with coming to me and saying, you know what, I I ran over an irrigation line and broke it, or I left something on or whatever, because I will, you know, at our seven, eight o'clock in the morning, I'll be like, Hey, you're going to find a flood out there this morning. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, um, but I think that that's a communication issue, right? So well, logistically, I've done really a lot important, of jobs. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's massively important to, to own up to mistakes. I mean, those leaders aren't true leaders if they can't admit when they make mistakes. I agree. Um, and, and you're not going to get the best out of your team. No one's perfect. I don't care. You know, we, I don't want to get into a philosophical debate, but nobody on, in, in the world has ever been perfect. And so to act like you are or that you don't make mistakes uh, really puts you in an unapproachable level as a manager. No one's going to want to uh, come to you with issues. You're, you know, going to develop inefficiencies as a team. So I think that's awesome. I think it's a, the true testament of a, of a good manager and leader by admitting that, you know, I've, I've made mistakes or, or whatever, because then it get, you know, gets people to buy in to your style as well. Do you do, uh, do you do like a daily standup uh, with your team? Like, cause I know with, you know, the, the farm that you're managing, there's a lot to do, right? So I don't know, do you guys do daily meetings or weekly or what does that schedule look like? I'm just curious. Depends on the level. So yes, um, with the people that are working, I hate this term, but working under me on the farm, every Mm -hmm. morning we start the day with a roundup where we talk about what needs to happen that day. And now I'm working off a schedule for myself, but I tell them what needs to be done. And I have encouraged them to manage that the way they need to manage it. Mm -hmm. So if someone, if someone wants to say, okay, from this time to this time, I'll do X and then I'll do X. That's up to them. Gotcha. Um, but I, I don't generally say uh, you have to do it from this time to this time. I will just tell them this needs to happen first thing. Maybe this yeah. needs to happen after the dues off the plants, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that. But then um, I have an operations team and we meet once a month and I have a staff meeting because my farm's a nonprofit and I'm an employee of a church and we meet every right. week. So there's, you know, the meeting thing, you're not alone in the meeting thing. But the, the reason I think all of these things are good hacks for a workaholic is because they've helped me out. And because there's a sense of if I have boundaries, if I'm new, if I'm doing the best I can, maybe once I master all this, I'm going to be able to calm myself down. Things are going to be mm-hmm. working efficiently enough. I'm going to say, you know what, I was able to accomplish this and I can go from there without uh, feeling like I'm stressing myself into right. the constant work. Right. So, well, a lot of those hacks, Katie, are some things that, that I used in my, in my own business uh, as well. So, yeah, I mean, essentially with you managing this farm, I mean, you're, you're almost, it's almost like you're running a startup um, and we've, we've had this conversation. So, um, yeah. So we need to talk about, you have started businesses and done so much. Um, yeah. Talk to us today about 
Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, actually closing a business that uh, that I started four years ago. Um, but before I get into that, uh, we are driven entirely by our listeners and appreciate your feedback and input on the show. Uh, if you ever have a topic that you think would be worth us discussing or would uh, like to maybe even be featured on a show, please share us your ideas via email. You can reach us at chris at katieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. And uh, Chris is always C-H-R-I-S and Katie is K-A-T-Y. Or if you just want to follow us on social media and engage with us that way, you can find us on Twitter at katieandmepod or on Instagram at katieandmepodcast. So yeah, Katie, to your point, I mean, a lot of those hacks that you talked about are are things that, that I implemented. I've started two of my own small businesses in the last five years. Um, one was the CoLab Group, which was a small um, kind of consulting company that I still have open, uh, although I'm working full-time now in another capacity. And so I'm not quite doing as much with that. But then for the last four years, I was the owner of the Pint Cycle which was uh, an outdoor pedal pub business in Fishers, Indiana. And my business partner and wife and I made the decision towards the uh, December or January of this year of maybe reconceptualizing what that business was going to look like and if we were going to you know, run seven days a week, et cetera. Uh, and so we made some changes. And, and ultimately, in addition to coronavirus helping for some of those decisions, we ended up closing the pint cycle. And there's a lot that goes into to closing a business. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into starting one as well. But it's I kind of want to just share some some thoughts on this for those of you that uh, have started a business. Hopefully, you're not going to have to close it anytime soon. Or if you are closing it, maybe it's because you're selling it for a nice tidy profit. But there are but still statistically, things, yeah, statistically, yeah. if you start a business, there's a chance that you're prob- there's a strong chance that you might have to to close a business. At, as well. And, you know, there's, there's mixed emotions with all of that. I I'm actually pretty pleased with how things went with, with our business. Obviously we would have loved to have had it grow and still remain viable, but uh, in hindsight, particularly with, with coronavirus, um, it ended up working pretty well that uh, we made the decision to close when we did and have actually sold off the majority of the assets. So, um, but there are a couple things that, that I do recommend if you are in this, in this process. First of all, if you start a business, one of the first things that you need to do is find an accountant. It'd be good if they specialize in small businesses, but if and when you get ready to close your business, you need to contact and connect with your accountant immediately for a couple of reasons. They're going to technically know a lot of the forms and where you're going to have to go um, to you know, officially close your business through the state. The other really important piece is if you are going to have some assets that you're selling off, you need to get a, uh, a tax estimate on what you're going to owe on those assets. I can't stress that enough. Um, so in, in our conversation, we ended up selling our main asset, the bike, um, and the, the tax on that was around where I thought I had ballparked it, but it was probably uh, 15% higher than what my wife thought it was going to be. So don't assume that you are going to know <laughs> what the tax on an asset is going to be. That's why you have an accountant. And the la- trust me when I tell you, when you're closing a business and you're recovering assets, the last thing you want to do is then at the end of the year, realize that you didn't set enough aside 
for the tax on the sale of any of those assets. Cause then that really is like kind of a kick in the teeth. So that to me, uh, that was the first email I made when we started uh, the process of looking at selling the bike and started getting some offers on it. And I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely glad we did that. Some of these other components I'm going to share with you, they're not really that sexy. They're kind of boring, but they're very important. <laughs> so you want to, you want to contact the secretary of state and the department of revenue for the secretary of state you, in Indiana, there's a, a BC 100 form uh, that you need to complete that essentially informs the state that you have now disbanded and closed that business. Uh, it's so that you're not held accountable for any additional um, taxes on your business. Uh, the Department of Revenue, we were a small operation. It was essentially just just me and my wife, but we did have, uh, we had some hired interns. And so when we had that, you need to inform the Department of Revenue as well to make sure that you're not still getting charged unemployment taxes and things along those lines. Again, I said this wasn't going to be like the sexiest part, no, but, it, but it's, it's really, fascinating. It's, it's really it, important though. It's a um, huge gaping hole in my knowledge. I have no idea about any of this. I'm just listening intently. It sounds like it should be so easy as well. I knew enough to go to the Secretary of State website and I was looking around, but I was literally on the phone with them as well. And if you can imagine trying to like deal with any state government agencies right now in the era of a pandemic, you know, I feel so bad for them. I, but I, I was on the phone, I was on hold for a good 40 minutes before I actually was able to get a, you know, get someone live, which 40 minutes in today's world probably isn't that bad. But I was on the website and it's a pretty good website. I've lived in a number of different states and um, Indiana's website is, is pretty well laid out for a, <laughs> for a state government website, but none of it is like overly intuitive. <laughs> and I mean, the information's there, but if you don't know where to go, it's, it's kind of a pain and hard to find it. Once I found it, it was okay. The woman on the phone was telling me that I had to print out the form, fill it out, and then fax it in which I'm like, man, it's 2020. How are we still reliant on faxing you know, this information? Turns out after I did some digging, there was an email address and it actually like converted into a DocuSign. I'm like, oh, wow, this is like pretty cutting edge compared to like a lot of other state agencies and stuff. So that's important. And, and when you are wrapping that up, you also want to make sure that you contact uh, workforce development and pay any final unemployment taxes that you have uh, or any other uh, taxes that you have on your business, or at least know when those tax bills are going to be sent. But also you want to get an idea of if, if there is outstanding, when you're going to get it. And they should be able to tell you based on the fact that you're ending your business, how much those taxes are going to be. So that's kind of like the technical, some of the labor intensive stuff that you want to make sure you do, but you really are protecting yourself. And then you kind of get into some of like the social media cleanup and stuff. So we had been kind of prepping our customers since January, February that we're, it was trending in this direction. And then within the last month, I, I ramped up our messaging around um, the potential closure and sale of the bike, et cetera. So right now, I still have those social media assets and kind of holding on to the email address as well so that if there's you know any, any other people that are trying to contact, I still get hit with a lot of nonprofits that are asking for me to donate tours, which uh, is kind of funny. I always 
politely email them back and let them know that unfortunately our business is closed. And so then they always email me back and, oh, I'm so sorry, your business is closed. And anyway, it gives me a little bit of a chuckle. But um, <laughs> so, um, but you do want to you do want to message so that people understand that your business is closed, and particularly Yelp or Google reviews. You want to go in and you want to mark your businesses as closed uh, for a couple of reasons. You don't want uh, folks to be able to go in and leave fraudulent reviews. Again, your business is closed, but uh, you still have a reputation and you, you, you spent a lot of time building it. Right. I, I'll tell anybody that'll listen. We, had, um, we never had less than a five-star review on our Facebook, Google, or Yelp for the four years that we were open. So wow. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, and I don't want somebody with a grudge to go in and leave a review even now that we're not open. So, um, yeah, of course. Make sure, yeah. <laughs> so make sure that you, you handle that and, and close that so people can't uh, gain access. And then I'm all about, you know, because I spent a lot of money running this business for the last four and a half years. I don't want uh, any other, <laughs> I don't want to spend any more money on it if I'm, if I can be completely transparent. So, you know, you need to contact whoever your hosting services to make sure that, your website is brought down so that you're still not paying for that website to be up because there are hosting fees, things along those lines. Another piece of advice I'll give you, and I know we're, we're working on time here, but when we went to sell our business, we were trying to sell the entire business because we, uh, we had the name trademarked, the Pine Cycles is trademarked, we had the bike, and then you know we had social media assets as well as some pretty robust emailing lists from having been in business and, and collecting email addresses for, for four and a half plus years. So we actually worked with a broker that I think they, they had our best interest at heart. I don't have any issue with that, but they didn't necessarily specialize in smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. So they were going to look to take a uh, 15% cut of the sale of our business, which in math was really going to take a pretty significant bite out of any profit that we would have been able to generate. And so my, my piece of advice is do some research. If you, you know, if, if you still have a, a tangible concept and you're looking to sell either assets or the entire business, shop around a little bit and find a, find a good fit uh, and don't just assume that all brokers are the same. Um, we ended up selling the bike on our own. We reached out through channels that we had made. I better give credit where credit's due. My wife reached out to channels that we had <laughs> made uh, and found a, a guy who ran another pedal pub out West, but he also did some brokering for folks that were looking for bikes his fee was 5%. <laughs> so that was much better. He mm-hmm. also knew who our builder of our bike was. Uh, he was in the process of trying to build a bike for someone, but they needed the bike essentially immediately. So just in having a conversation with this guy, I sent him a video of the bike and some pictures. He's like, I can't believe this bike is four years old. It's in amazing shape. And so he helps kind of close the deal for us. So. so once again, it comes back to your networking, Chris. That's what I'm getting. Even in closing the business, yeah. the fact that you're such a networker and you build up relationships and you guys have people that contact still in the end mattered. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, I'll probably continue to, to stay connected with a lot of those folks because I, I do, I stand by the, the business. I think it's um, this year is going to be probably challenging, but 
you would be amazed at what some of these other bike vendors have done. They've put screens in between the seats, like plexiglass screens in between the seats. They've uh, reduced the number of passengers from you know 16 to 8 so that people can socially distance. Uh, a lot of the folks that I've met in this business are great business people. They're entrepreneurial and they're, they're finding a way to make it work. And quite honestly, people are appreciative of the opportunity to go out and, and do something. So, do something, yeah. yeah. And, and so those cool. of us who can ante up a little bit to support smaller businesses right now really need to Should. do that because, yeah. I mean, you know, I think about this like 25% of restaurants are predicted not to come yeah. back. And I kind of put you in that hospitality and service industry yeah. thing with the bike business. And I just think, oh my gosh, 25%, you know, they're the most vulnerable of the batch. And sometimes vulnerability isn't because you're not good. Sometimes it's just because of your scale. And yeah. so now I'm, I'm looking at my budget going, what can I put towards my local restaurant that I love so much? And I'm ordering carry out as much yeah, as I can. I agreed. I do the same. I try yeah. and, and I, I really try and tip well. Uh, I always felt like I was a pretty good tipper because I <laughs> was in the industry myself. Right. But, uh, I really try and go over the top on tipping for delivery Ditto. drivers and anything else just because um, it's hard right now. Ditto. And, and, and uh, y'all pay attention if you get groceries delivered. The yeah. default on most of those services is a 5% tip, which is an absolute joke to me. Right. <laughs> so, you need to go up a little bit. Yeah. yeah you need to enter a higher tip for that, please. But so anyway. I, Last point, and it's, it's one of the most important, um, is do not close any of your uh, financial bank accounts until everything has, like every transaction has been completed. You've gone in and you've like shut off any auto withdrawals, all of that. So this this 5% brokerage fee that I mentioned, I needed to send that through my business account for tax records. I didn't want to Venmo it. So you know, I had to send them a, a check through my bank. I didn't physically write a check, but you know, it, it took several days to get there and he still has to, to deposit it. So I can't close my bank until that occurs mm -hmm. because the last thing I want is someone that helped me close my business and sell my bike to then go and try and cash a check and it doesn't cash or it bounces, et cetera. So I hold off on like, I was so excited when we got the, because we got the revenue off of the sale of the bike immediately because it was wired to us. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to yeah, cash, use this money to, to pay off some expenses and get whole again from the business. And then as I was going through this, I'm like, oh, well, wait, I need to hold off on that. So I almost made the mistake of closing that account. Fortunately, I didn't. Um, but that's, that's an important piece. Do not close mm. your business bank account until everything is done. Everything's put to bed and then uh, make that the, the last thing that you do. So um, yeah, so it was a it was an interesting experience. I honestly, Katie, I figured it wouldn't be that hard. I'm like, don't I just like let people know my business is closed and everything takes care of itself? Just stop no. collecting yeah. money and doing your job. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was there was a little bit more labor involved than than what I was anticipating. I really had no idea. Like yeah. now I feel so much smarter. Oh well, you know that's what I'm here for. <laughs> but was, yay. And then you know, uh, one side note: we're going a little bit long on time, but there is the there is the emotional side too. And yeah. um, you know, I actually my wife and I dealt with it pretty well, and I think it's because we've been pretty pragmatic about the business, and we realized where we were at the end of 2019, and we just said, okay, well, maybe if I can get another job, even if it's like a part-time, but we're getting a regular salary, we can reduce the bike hours and we can still make it work. And so we kind of started putting a plan in place. And so it wasn't like the rug got completely pulled out from underneath us. But for, for those that have been in a position where the rug has gotten pulled out, 
you need to understand that you're going to be dealing with a lot of emotion in this as well. And so the, the technical checking the boxes and, and some of these other components, it's important that you don't just ignore them because of the emotion associated with, you know, losing something that you put a lot of time and effort into. Don't further put yourself behind a, an additional eight ball by not taking care of, of things that need to be taken care of. So that would be my, my last piece of advice is you're going to be emotional, but it's really important that you go through these steps and leverage the resources that you already paid money for. Talk to your accountant. If you have a, you know, a business attorney, talk to those folks and, and, and get help from them and make sure that this all gets done correctly. Well, so good yeah, tips, I mean, Chris, thanks. yeah, no, thank you. I think uh, a really good combination of management hacks and uh, these are some action items and hacks for those that, uh, that have the final active management. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Katie is always great to talk to you and uh, stay safe out there. All right. Thanks guys.